أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسول أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا ഫറുദൂലി <coughs> മെസഞ്ചർ ഇൻഅോറിറ്റി ഫ്രോം അമങ് യു then if you quarrel about anything refer it to allah and the messenger if you believe in allah and the last day this is this is best and more suitable to achieve the end sadakallahu aliyyul azim this is uh, the verse i have recited is from chapter 4 verse 59 and uh, i'm only going to deal with the first phrase of this verse which is o you who obey o you who believe obey allah and obey the messenger and those in authority from from among you so the first part is the command obey allah and of course there can be no question about uh, unquestioning obedience to allah and then we have obey the messenger so this signifies the central position of uh, particularly the sunnah of the holy prophet muhammad because we know that hundreds perhaps thousands of people saw the holy prophet uh, doing certain things like the way he performed uh, wudu or the way he uh, um, said prayers and so on so there can be no doubt or about azan for example so these are definite sources of legislation the uh, the quran and the example of the holy prophet muhammad 
and then of course next we have the hadith but these were not compiled the earliest one in the, in the holy prophet's time the earliest ones being compiled some 100 years later but in this obey the messenger you have to remember one thing and that is that the holy prophet muhammad had two positions he was the prophet of allah and in that position he had to be obeyed and uh, he was also an ordinary human being now as a prophet he was guided by allah but as an ordinary human being he was subject to the same information and knowledge that was around at the time and uh, we know that this was the case because many times the companions would ask him are you saying this as a prophet of Allah or are you saying this uh, because this is your personal opinion and there are numerous examples I mean uh, at the time of Badr the holy prophet lined up the uh, the soldiers and a companion of the holy prophet went and said you know prophet of Allah you have uh, arranged this formation for the army was this under divine command or did you just do what you thought fit and the holy prophet said but i did what i thought fit this is not allah's command that uh, i should line up the army in this way and then the companion said well my opinion is we'll be better off if and then he explained his idea for the way the army should be lined up and the holy prophet وسلم, listened to him and he rearranged the army and then uh, there is the the uh, Hazrat Zainab when the holy prophet uh, she, she wanted a divorce from her husband Zaid and the holy prophet tried to dissuade her and the question she asked was is this a command from Allah or is this advice from you as my cousin and the Holy Prophet said well you know this is not Allah's command this is my advice upon which Hazrat said well if this is not Allah's command then I'm afraid although there's nothing wrong with Zaid I don't want to be his wife and then of course there was the Treaty of Hudaybiyah when the whole of the Muslim army, all the Muslims present at Hudaybiyah were upset that the Holy Prophet signed this treaty because they felt that, uh, um, you know, it made them look sort of weak. And Hazrat Umar kept going round and asking you know are we cowards have we ever refused to lay down our uh, life for our lives for islam if not why are we accepting these terms which on the face of it were uh, humiliating but the allah sent a revelation that we have we have given you a clear victory 
And although Muslims still could not see how it was a victory, but because God said so, all the, uh, the sort of depression and the doubt and everything suddenly disappeared. So you can see that in the Holy Prophet Wasallam's own time, people would put this question to him. Are you saying this because God has commanded you or is this your personal opinion? Uh, the point that uh, I'm stressing is the fact that what, God, what the Holy Prophet said as a prophet commanded by God had to be obeyed. But then he had his own personal opinions as well. And many of them were based on the information that was uh, available. Um, it's like, you know, if you get a rash and someone says, oh, I put butter on it or margarine on it or something. Um, and it got better. And you do it. Now, you're not a medical doctor or uh, etc. Someone else might have done it. Or, you know, you were feeling uh, uh, irritation and you put some oil or butter or whatever on it and it made you feel better and you're just passing that information on. It doesn't mean that it's going to work for everyone. But the next part of this verse is, we were talking about it, obey Allah. O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the messenger and those in authority from among you. Now there is, uh, for 1500 years, this debate has been going on, whether it means that uh, yeah, this applies only to Muslims. If you're living in a Muslim country and uh, the government decides something, then you must obey that. But if you're living in a non-Muslim country, then you needn't obey that. I disagree with that. Um, that it, it says, those in authority among you. I disagree with it because when the Holy Prophets drew up the Treaty of Medina, the Constitution of Medina, he said, the definition of Ummah is this, everyone living in Medina. So you had Muslims living there, you had Christians living there, you had Jews living there, you had idol worshippers living there. But the Holy Prophet Muhammad said that everyone living in this area constitutes one Ummah. So I suggest that if you live, for example, in England or Germany or France or wherever, then those in authority are the parliament and uh, the, the ministers and the prime minister and uh, so on. But does that then mean that we must obey everything they say unquestioningly? And you see, this is an interesting question because, for example, the parliament may approve a bill but it does not become law until the monarch signs it because the monarch is regarded as the law. This is why the law doesn't apply to the monarch. This is why the queen did not pay income tax. 
until she voluntarily said, yes, I will. But she didn't have to. No law of this land applies to her. Nothing that parliament approves becomes law until it has the queen's consent. So whoever, whoever the, the, the monarch may be, unless it has their concern, the consent, it does not become law. And uh, so there is a human being who's above the law. And in fact, the court of chancery, those of you sitting here who are lawyers would know that there were two courts, the normal court and the court of chancery. The court of chancery was that, uh, you know, sometimes you appeal to the king against the decision of the high court or directly to the king. You know, the law says this, but it is unjust. But because you are above the law, I'm asking you to decide this. Now, originally the king used to do it or the monarch used to do it, but then it got out of hand. So he set up a court of uh, Charles Street where these things were uh, uh, happening. So here, in the Western legal system, the ruler, the monarch, was the absolute ruler. You had to do what you were told. And it was the same in, in, in all countries. You had to obey Napoleon Bonaparte and you had to uh, obey Genghis Khan and Halaku Khan. And uh, even in Muslim countries, you know, there was unquestioning obedience of the Mughal emperors and so on. But this is not what this verse of the Holy Quran says. Obedience here requires two things. Two things. Once, the government must be legitimate. And secondly, what they ask you to do must be legitimate. Or maruf, literally, good. Now, why do I say this? Well, I say this because immediately upon the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam's death, Hazrat Abu Bakr delivered two khutbahs, one on the same day. He was away and when he heard, he came rushing back and he found that people were saying, uh, especially Hazrat Umar, that uh, the Holy Prophet has not died. He has, uh, you know, uh, is still alive and he'll come back one day and so on. Upon which the uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr made this, uh, these famous comments. Whoever worships Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad has died. If you say that today, in some countries you'll be charged with blasphemy and probably killed. Then he quotes a verse of the Holy Quran. Allah says, indeed you are to die and indeed they are to die. And then he quoted another verse of the Holy Quran. And then, sorry for those of you on radio, something's gone wrong with the, the battery.
please bear with us for a few seconds. The battery is being changed. So I'll continue when uh, that is done. Right. <clears throat> And then and then Hazrat Abu Bakr recites this verse of the Holy Quran. Muhammad is only a messenger. Messengers before him have passed away. And we say to those who say Jesus is up in heaven, heavens, what do you make of this verse of the Holy Quran? that messengers before the Holy Prophet have passed away. None of the companions stood up and said, what about Jesus? So if he was to be killed, would you turn back on your heels? And when he said this, Hazrat uh, uh, Umar and others, uh, they started to cry. But uh, I just mentioned this as, by the way, the, 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 the khutbah that I want to refer to is the one that Hazrat Abu Bakr delivered the following day after he was elected the head of state, the Khalifa. And uh, after people had taken an oath of allegiance on his hand, the bath, Hazrat Abu Bakr said this, O people, I have been appointed over you, though I am not the best among you. Look at the humility that he is elected. And these are the words he uses. Truthfulness is a trust and lying is treachery. The weak among you is to me strong until I return to him what is rightfully his. Allah will. And the strong among you is to me weak until I take from him the rights of others. Allah will. And uh, <clears throat> he said other things which I uh, will not uh, quote here because they're not relevant. And anyway, he then went on to say, Obey me as long as I obey Allah and his messenger. And if I disobey Allah and his messenger, then I have no right to demand your obedience. Stand up now and pray. May Allah have mercy on, on all of you. Now look, look at the difference. Here, the monarch is regarded as being the law or being above the law. But here, Hazrat Abu Bakr is saying, if I disobey, if I disobey Allah and his messenger, then I have no right to expect obedience from you. Now, why is this important? This is important because, <clears throat> in fact, I mean, this is not theory because uh, in Hazrat Umar's time, Hazrat Umar said that um, uh, the women, when they enter into prenuptial agreements, yes, Islam is the religion that came up with the idea of a prenuptial agreement. It's called the Nikanama. And he, Hazrat Umar said, women are demanding 
that the husbands write too large a proportion of their estate, their property, to them in the prenuptial agreement. And this is this means that uh, men are unable to uh, uh, to get married and, and so on. And I'm proposing uh, a limit on how much a woman can demand from her husband in this prenup. Upon which a woman stood up and she said, the Quran says that it, it is our right to demand even a mountain of gold. So who are you, Umar? To put a restriction on it. And Hazrat Umar looked at her and he rescinded his command. So you can see this goes back to what Hazrat Abu Bakr said. If I obey Allah and his messenger, obey me. But if I disobey them, then I cannot demand obedience from you. And this is what Hazrat Umar is doing. Because this woman points out that what he is doing is against what the Holy Quran says. But uh, the importance of this concept became clear after the Second World War in 1947, when uh, <clears throat> the Nazis were charged, a tribunal was set up at uh, Nuremberg, and some Nazis were charged with genocide and killing and so on. And uh, their defense was very simple. They said the Nazi government, Hitler's government, was a legitimate government. It was elected. We were just doing what the government told us to. So why are you charging us for killing these millions of people? We did nothing wrong. This goes back to the concept that I mentioned earlier, that the head of state, is the law, is above the law. It doesn't matter that Hitler was saying kill uh, the millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people because he was the head of state and what he said went. And they said, well, so we, we've done nothing wrong. And that was the first time that in Western law, the Nuremberg Tribunal decided that no, this is not a defense, this is not a justification. And they came up with this, they thought, new concept that even at the height of a battle, a soldier has a legitimate right, a legal right, to refuse an unlawful order from his uh, superior. You know, soldiers are fighting and uh, the colonel or the captain or whoever says, you know, I don't care that village has only has women and children. If we slaughter them all, that will teach them a lesson. The soldier has a legitimate right to say, no, I will not do that. And what is that based on? That is based on what happened at Nuremberg. And what is what happened at Nuremberg? What is that based on? That is based on this verse of the Holy Quran and obey those in authority from among you and Hazrat Abu Bakr's subsequent interpretation 
of that law. Hazrat Abu Bakr, when he sent out uh, 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 an army to fight, he gave them what are now called rules of war. They are now codified. Hazrat Abu Bakr codified them. He said, only kill those who fight you. Then he said, specifically said, do not fight those, do, do not kill those who are not fighting. Do not kill women. Do not kill children. Do not kill old men. Do not destroy fruit trees. Do not destroy crops. Since 1947, these have all been codified and become a part of international law. And soldiers in various armies have been tried because they violated these. But these are all based on the Holy Quran and its, and its interpretation by the Holy Prophet Muhammad and his nearest companions. And it amazes me that Muslims never point this out to anyone. That originally the Western law said that the king can do, well, you've heard the saying, the king can do no wrong. But it was Islam that came and changed that. So I once did a series of khutbah and their title was Sharia is here, deal with it. So what's been implemented by Nuremberg and subsequent international tribunals and trials was Sharia that people are so afraid of and resist implementing. Barakallahu lana wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Azim wa nafa'ana wa iyaakum bil ayat wa zikr al-Hakim innahu ta'ala jawadun kareemun malikun barrafur al-Hakim.